Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Brett Simmons, director of You Might Be the Killer, and a lot of other cool things. This has What's been up? Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I brought some coffee since it says on your IMDb that you're a big uh, coffee guy. Hey, same. <laughs> I think we have a similar cup because I like mine boiling hot at all times. So I'm gonna say I got to keep mine in my in my Yeti. Yes, yeah. All right, now I think we're <laughs> we're friends already. So, so yeah, bonding fast, man. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, this was in like years in the making because when uh, you might be the killer first came out, I was a big fan of it, and I think we all were on the show. And um, for some reason, it never happened, but now it's happening. And uh, so, when um, you first made that movie, like, uh, what was what was like the story behind it? How did like uh, how did the idea come about? Well, you know, you might be the killer was really funny because it all came from um, the the producer at the time who was making the movie. I had worked with on some other projects and he had the rights to the, uh, it's just so bizarre, but he, he had the rights to the Twitter thread that Sam Sykes and Chuck Wendig did. And, um, and so I just got called with a, Hey, I got the rights to this Twitter thread. I want to turn to a movie. And I was like, what the, what did <laughs> I just, I, how do you even I get the like, rights to a Twitter uh, thread? I, 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 actually, I absolutely <laughs> wondered that myself. I was like, how the heck? And then I was also like, are we at this point that like, that's what we're doing now is we're adapting <laughs> Twitter threads. Like I didn't even understand how it was possible, but then when they sent it to me and I, I hadn't yet known who Sam Sykes and Chuck were. So, um, I didn't realize there were these like amazing authors and that their Twitter thread was hilarious. And um, I immediately got it. Once I read it, I was like, okay, this is more than, this isn't really just a Twitter thread. There's actually a lot more stuff here. So the next conversation was just about like, you know, what would we do with it? You know, is there a full story? And I felt like the Twitter thread was one, very funny Two, I felt that, it introduced kind of at the core of it, you know, a friendship between two people that I was like, this could be enough to hang a story on as well, you know, on these two characters. But then also like the conversation kind of introduced a few ideas that I felt like, okay, we could really mine these and make these where the story kind of, we start to add a lot of meat to it, you know? And so when I threw out my ideas for what we could do, everyone was super excited and we were, uh, off to the races but it was just a really odd start because <laughs> yeah. you know like people make stuff down from creepy pasta which is you know stuff online but right. the stories written but um the more i think about it though you it is best to get some type of permission or rights or else you would be like taking someone's you know ideas yeah and, and i do think the original idea too is that they wanted them to write it you know sam and chuck because they are incredibly well-established writers and they've written some awesome stuff. I'm like so much more familiar now, but I think that was the, the other idea was let's get the rights and get them to yeah. write it. And I think they tossed it around a little bit, but then in the end there, what really happened was there was a crazy turnaround where they were like, Hey, we love this. We want to make it like tomorrow was like, not literally, but you know, yeah. might as well have been with how fast the schedule. So I think for them, that was kind of a, you know, like a, we're kind of new to the movie writing thing and that seems too fast to pull off. And so that's when it turned into, well, we'll give you the rights and find someone else to write it. 
Yeah. Have they seen? I assume they've seen the the movie since then. Yeah, yeah, they've seen it. They they were all, and they also weighed in a lot on the script, which was really generous of them. You know, they were they were involved and they had some great input. And yeah, they they saw it. They they dug it. They thought it all worked well. So yeah, they're awesome. I don't like to make the interview about me, but similar story to my movie that's playing um, in a couple weeks in L.A. was. It not not a Twitter thread, but it was me and my friend Michael were having a, a Facebook uh, messenger uh, discussion, mm-hmm. and then it led to let's make this. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really funny. It was like I, I get it. You know, where it's like so many, so many movies. Period come from just the germ of a conversation. You know, it's like every single thing has been me with either a buddy or with a fellow writer, or you know, somebody just exploring. You know, Man, what if this or what if that or isn't this hilarious? Then all of a sudden the germ of an idea comes from it. So, you know, that's not really surprising at all. I feel like that's where they all and generally originate from. You just don't normally have to get the rights to that conversation from somebody else. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I assume you're a, lot, a long-time horror fan. Oh, yeah, 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 big time. I, You know, I, it's actually funny because um, I've always kind of had like a taste for the macabre, but I'm like a big wimp, so I – didn't actually start diving into horror movies until I was a teenager. When I was a kid, I wasn't like the kid that was like sneaking off watching nightmare on Elm street and Halloween. I like, I didn't even have the guts to watch one until I was like 13, 14 years old. (laughs) But then I was like a hardcore fan. Like from that point on, I was just like in love with the genre. So yeah, I, I I love it, but I also love comedies. So that's what was funny was I, uh, you might be the killer was kind of like the first time, all the movies I had done prior were straight horror movies. And it was finally an opportunity for me to flex, um, flex my comedy muscles too, you know, which was kind of just heaven for me. I think those are the two genres that work best um, with an audience because it's, yeah. you have a, you know, you can laugh together or be like shocked together. You, know, you don't want to sit around and just cry together watching, you know, Schindler. right. Right. There, it really does amplify the shared experience. Like I totally I totally agree. And I feel like it's been said to death by so many people, but you know, I remember Alfred Hitchcock at one point had an anecdote saying that horror and comedy were the same. You're just trading the, they're, they're both punchline based. So they're the same. You're just trading laughs for screams. Hmm. Um, and it's really true. Like you gotta, you gotta think real hard about your audience. You gotta be paying attention to the room and kind of have your finger on the pulse of everybody that's viewing it in order to deliver whether it's going to be a joke or a scare, you know, and I love that. Cause like you said, like I, I love the theater experience. I love sharing a movie with a group of people and um, the screams and the laughs are the most audible way to know that you are because in the, <laughs> you're right. Like in a drama and the, you know, there's some great dramas, but oh yeah, I don't really know, know if everyone's having to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, I don't know if we're all crying. I don't yeah, know like, how we're first all down into audible sobs uh, would be. Maybe a little extreme reaction to your movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's, it's really entertaining to see like your buddies get scared, you know, or like, it's hilarious when your buddies see how freaked out you're getting, you know, and it's, there's nothing really like it. It's just such an immediate, um, just an immediate payoff. Mm -hmm. And um, I always think the best horror comedies, there's probably some exceptions, but the, both the horror and the comedy has to work. So like the horror has to look cool or yeah. else it becomes something different, I think. But so like, uh, yeah. like all the horror looks good, you know, all the kills and, and the mask and everything looks good. And, uh, no, thanks man. 
No, I mean that was that was always really important because I um you know the scary movie movies and I'm not I'm not ripping those because they are they're their thing and they're funny, but they're not scary. They're not even trying to be scary. They're just lampooning the genre and that's funny, but what's missing is those movies don't have real um life and death stakes, you know. And for me, that was the most important thing with you might be the killer was making sure that this wasn't a spoof. You know, it's like you know, I, I'm not trying to compare it to Scream. I don't think that's worthy, but like Scream and Cabin in the Woods are two of my favorites where they, there's a lot of really funny kind of meta humor, but it's all in the context of an actual life or death situation, you know? And I've always, I've always felt that Ghostbusters is one of the best horror comedies because it gets so much credit for being a comedy, but that movie was, was, terrifying first for me before yeah, it was the, the ghosts look great in the in the first in the original oh look they look great the the stakes are real the city's in danger you know dana like sigourney weaver you know she's in her life is literally threatened and taken over by this thing and like the danger it's not a joke but what's funny is how people are reacting to it and to me that's where horror comedies have failed where they can afford to succeed a little bit better is if the horror is treated as legitimate, it's okay for people to have hilarious reactions to it because that's real life. You know, it's like half the time that me and my buddies like go to Halloween horror nights or anything like that. I'm typically the one that's invited so that they can laugh at me because my reactions, my own reactions are real to me. I'm genuinely terrified, but they're hilarious to everyone watching me because I'm such a scaredy cat, right? Mm -hmm. That's comedy for them, but it's horror for me, you know, and that's where I think horror comedy actually could be better married in general is just the fact that people have hilarious reactions to being terrified, mm-hmm. but they're real reactions for them. You know, they're not like winking at the camera. Just like, Oh no. Right. <laughs> you yeah, know, I- but like I said, when I, when I was a kid, I, you know, I, I was, cause I was such a wimp for watching horror movies, but I was so interested in just kind of like the darker spooky stuff you know, I loved Scooby-Doo and the thing about Scooby-Doo was like that show freaked me out. You know, like the ghosts were scary when I was a kid and Shaggy and Scooby had very funny reactions to them, but their reactions weren't, Hey guys, look how funny we are. They were like, Oh my God, we're going to die. And then running in place for three seconds, you know, and that was kind of one of the things I've also always really held on to was it's okay for characters to be in a terrifying situation that they react in a comical way, but it's still very scary. Yeah. I was thinking of Fright Night's one of the first uh, self-referential yeah. uh, horror comedies. It's a great one. I love Fright yeah. Night. It's very similar to Scream, where, you know, everyone in the movie knows the rules of, of the genre. Yeah. You know, and that actually came up, everything, too. Like you said, it is life and death in the movie. Well, that came up a lot with You Might Be the Killer with the um. Cause like with scream, like everybody knowing everything, mm-hmm. I felt like that was really a turning point in the drama in the sense that, and you know, all the horror movies we grew up watching horror was still a relatively new genre in the sense of the slasher film. Right. And like, you know, like Wes Craven and John Carpenter and like all those guys, like it was really like the Renaissance of horror and movies weren't, in the center of the zeitgeist at the level that they are right now. And so that was our big debate with you might be the killer was how much we should be referencing of their horror movies or not. And I was like, well, the whole basis of 
Sam and Chuck's Twitter thread was kind of being self-aware, but I also had a bit of a, it wasn't an argument. It was a debate back and forth. What would be the best option about how the characters would deal with the situation. And I was like in the year we made it in 2018, Mm -hmm. but even today I'm like, I don't know how we could portray a world where people are working at a camp and not thinking about Jason Voorhees. Right. right? Yeah. Like uh, that actually seems weird. Whereas in the Friday the 13th movies, it would be weird for them to be referencing horror movies for them to be going, Oh, what about Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers? Cause it was just kind of still in its infancy, so to speak. But today we're all so savvy. It would like, it'd be really weird to act like we didn't know. And that's kind of what scream. I think, really started to introduce people to was, Hey, like we, we all know these movies. And if this was happening to us, there's no way that we wouldn't be factoring in some of these things we've now grown up with as influences on our responses to the situation. Yeah. So you don't, you know, like everyone, like, so they'd have like a base knowledge of all this stuff. And then if you're a hardcore horror fan, then maybe you get some more of the, the deeper references, but it's not going to take away from the movie if you don't. Yeah. And that was kind of the rule was it should never be something that feels it should never take anybody out of the story. It should never feel like it's a joke that's servicing itself. It should feel like everything is constantly serving the character motivation and the story going ahead. You know, uh, I watch it again for the interview and I was like, anyway, but watch it again. I something I noticed is it's almost like, like, a. Uh, like the, a franchise of movies, like the first four movies kind of put into one because it goes from kind of like, uh, he's like a real life killer. Then there's supernatural stuff. And then he, you know, that's yeah. the movie, then he's like undead. So it's kind of like the only thing you miss, like him going to space, like in a, in a, in a, in a future, <laughs> uh, but I think that's interesting too. That's really funny. I appreciate that. I definitely, um, we also had debate about how far to go, you know, the biggest debate of all, I think was how soon to reveal whether or not that spoiler alert, Sam is the killer. But right. in my mind, I was like, it's kind of in the title. I feel I like people are sitting down. Yeah. If anyone wanted yeah. the, the title change because of that. Yeah. Well, at one point we, um, when we premiered at fantastic fest in 2018, which was awesome. We premiered with, um, the premiere title was you might be the killer, but we were accepted. And all the way up until the premiere, the movie was called dead counselors. Um, the script was written as you might be the killer. And then it was changed the dead counselors in the hope of maybe, maybe that just was kind of a little more tongue in cheek and didn't quite put like, uh, well, it didn't quite like tilt the audience yeah. towards spoiling, like where the movie was going. But at the same time, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how long we can really draw this out before people are going to be way ahead of us. Yeah. And so in the end they were like, well, let's keep the original title. And I, I just always felt that we needed to know early on that we need to reveal early on the Sam was the killer. Cause I felt like otherwise we were going to be milking it for too long. And the audience was going to like get it before we told them. And then they're going to hate the experience. Right. It's, yeah. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're watching a movie where the, <laughs> the filmmakers think that they, they have you and you're like, no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm just waiting for you to tell me what I've already figured out a long time ago. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, that was our big debate was how long to keep that. I also think, uh, you might be the killer is a much more, uh, the title is more interesting. I do think dead counselor is a little more generic. Like, like this could be any type of horror movie. 
I felt exactly the same way. I'm I'm glad you felt that way too. I was like, yeah, I I always kind of approach these things as a as a fan first, you know, and I'm like, man, if I saw a poster that said you might be the killer, I'm gonna be way more intrigued than dead counselors. Like as cute as the title is, I was like, I don't I don't know that necessarily evokes quite the intrigue. Yeah, it really could be anything. And I know people, you know, and I grew up going to video stores too. And like you would pick the movie off the video thing, but you still do that today. It's even, I think it's even more important for your title or your poster to stand out since there's so many things to choose from online. Totally agree. I feel like with how saturated the the market is, you kind of have to try and you really just have to kind of swing big. You know, it's like, it's even if you blow it, at least swing, swing as big as you can, because otherwise you're just going to get lost in the lost in the noise. Mm-hmm. That's an, that's actually a good point too because I get a lot of screeners for the show over the year, and to me, I'd rather watch a movie that's technically maybe not great, but you could tell like they're trying to do something different or they were having fun making it, as yeah. opposed to something maybe technically made well but is very like the same thing I've seen a million times and right just run of the mill like that's probably the least interesting thing for me to watch. I, I'm with you 100. percent You know, it's kind of where I think that superhero movies are kind of struggling right now is it's, it's so many of them are so familiar with an, the audiences are just so familiar now just kind of like, hey, at this point there's so many of you and i don't really know how different you are like i'm just kind of waiting to check out the one that feels like it's kind of going a little bit bolder than everything else yeah yeah my brother's big comic book fan but i agree with you i i was into him for a while but it's just you've seen so many of them it's i know i'm i'm a I'm that's my other my other big love is comic books, you know, and I'm like, I don't it it it's crazy for me to feel tired with them. <laughs> like I love these. Yeah. Uh but you know, it, it is kind of going back to what you were saying about the horror movies, how there's there's so many horror movies that I'm most excited by the ones that are kind of taking the biggest swing and making the biggest splash because Otherwise, it just kind of feels monotonous. I don't even know if I can get through the whole movie because I just we're also again familiar with the genre. We've we're so savvy. If it starts to feel like something we've seen before, kind of tune out and forget it. Yeah, and we mentioned uh, festival, and uh, that's what I like about festivals is you usually see some a lot of different type of movies that you yeah. And what's cool is a lot of times you'll see them before they go to Shutter or whatever. But there's also movies I've seen that either didn't come out for years or never came out and it's both cool that i got to see it but it's also like if i think about it, it's kind of sad like this was cool but it, i don't think it ever was released anywhere yeah i know it really is true isn't it like sometimes at festivals you see crazy movies that you would never otherwise see somewhere else and then to not see them get the audience they deserve is a real bummer yeah and also like going in blind as much as possible, which is easier to do at a festival than seeing, you know, all, yeah. all the trailers. It's harder to do now than ever. And that is really the coolest part about festivals is like really all you have is a title and a like a one line synopsis to go off of. Right. And you just sit down and you're like, like I was at a festival. You, you might be a killer. One of its other screenings was at the Telluride Horror Fest, which is an awesome festival in Telluride. And they were playing that movie Terrified. And I was like, this looks cool. I mean, I don't really know what it is. And I went in so blind and I was like rocked. I was like, oh my, I'm glad I knew nothing about this movie. This was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The last one's that they had uh, like a sneak 
uh, preview of Barbarian before, like, you know, people nice. knew about it. And, and that's definitely a movie you don't want to know anything about when you go into it. Right, right. That's what everyone keeps saying. I haven't gotten to watch it yet. Um, I know a lot of the crew that worked on it. So I've like, I've kind of been aware of it. I'm like, man, I want to go see it just because I want to see what everybody's been up to. But then I've now everyone's talking about it. I'm like, geez, I really got to get out and go see this <laughs> thing before it's spoiled for me. Yeah, yeah. So your first um, short that you know, I was reading that, you know, then it became your feature was Husk. So yeah, yeah. Was that really due to the festivals? Like people got, you know, interested in it or? Well, they, yeah, it really was like it. it it's, so Husk was my senior thesis out of high school, I'm not high school, pff, college. Okay. I, at this point, college feels like high school, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was my senior thesis in film school. And um, I just really wanted to make a, the short, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm trying to say this as if anyone else is considering the notion. I had already made so many short films in film school. My mind was kind of already outside of film school. Like, what the heck am I going to do? And so I wanted to make a horror movie. And um, I wanted to make something that felt more like a pitch for a feature than a short film. And so Husk is, it's ridiculous because Husk is like 28 minutes long. Like, it's it's barely a short film. And I didn't care because I was like, nope, I'm just showcasing a bigger story. I could tell. I just really thought I knew what I was doing. Um, but then what happened, what was crazy was it got accepted into the Sundance Film Festival. So That's, it yeah. went and played at Sundance. And yeah. it was just kind of a big serendipitous thing because it was a year that Sundance had had some distance from showcasing a lot of horror. And they were like, we need to come back. So a lot of the programmers were like, we really need to up our horror game this year and so they were really looking for horror shorts to showcase and they just happened to really dig husk and so husk had a real big um showing at sundance that kind of changed everything for me and so from there everyone it, it all paid off i was completely oblivious and just guessing that i could pitch a feature with a short film but then sure enough because of sundance that's all everyone wanted to talk about you know it was like talk with me about was you know what would the feature be and what's the bigger story here and i already had it kind of laid out yeah. and was in the process of finishing writing it you know so it worked out well the process took a lot longer than i would have liked but it all worked out and that's ultimately where the feature came from was the festival success of the of the short yeah what's well, interesting because a lot of times i ask people because i'm always interested why people make shorts because I would think it's to like, I want to show people what I'm going to do to either make that into a feature or a, a different feature. But I know a yeah. lot of people who only make shorts and nothing against that, but I always wonder like what the goal is with that, because I don't really know what you either put them on YouTube or I guess there's a little more platforms you can put them on now than there used to be. But yeah. for the most part, they played festivals and then they'd either disappear or just pop up on YouTube. Yeah, there's definitely more outlets now than there were before for sure. But yeah, it's funny because short films are, in my opinion, short films are a very different art form. Um, it's like the the length of it, the structure of it. It's I equate it to reading a Stephen King novel versus reading a Stephen King short story. You know, and Stephen King short stories are phenomenal, mm -hmm. but they don't work as they don't. I can't say this about all of them. I'm just generically saying they don't necessarily lend themselves to features because they're kind of conceived as a short you know, almost like a creepy pasta, right? Where it's like, it's conceived as this very brief, concise thing and they don't always lend themselves. And so on one hand, I'm like, man, 
short films are really cool to master, but then I know what you mean. Like if it's not leading towards a feature, I'm not sure what for me personally. Yeah. I, I'm not still making short films, but I do love them. Yeah. I, I, we do uh severed limbs, our own film festival, virtual film festival. We start, I started oh, cool. during the, uh, during covid when it first started because i missed doing the going to festivals and i thought it was yeah. fun just for everyone to get together and watch them and uh yeah i still love short films i'm just always interested you know like what people's end yeah. goal in, in making them are yeah i get it like all the short films i've i've watched that i've really liked have led to features and so i've just kind of from my own background just kind of assumed that's where it went but you're right there are there's some incredible filmmakers out there that are just completely dedicated to that art form specifically yeah, cool. said about like punchline, like that comedy and horror both are like punchline driven. I think a lot yeah. of shorts are the same way. Like you have one punchline for your for yes. your movie for like the end, and that's like, but you, that's hard totally. to stretch out onto a into a into a feature. Then, yeah, I'm, I think the best short films, at least for me, are the ones that work exactly like that, like a one punchline, you know, setup, you know, and then payoff and punchline. Um, I love that. I think the best short films do that. But yeah, like you said, that doesn't always necessarily lend itself to a bigger story. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting either way. Like the best one is my favorite example is Lights Out with David Samuel. Yes. I was actually you know, like, but yeah. Yeah, like that that short <laughs> that short freaked me out. And so when they're gonna make a feature, I was like, but the short is so contained and so specific, it's more just kind of a moment in a feature. And then I realized, Oh yeah, that's what the feature did. If you view it like this is one incident, Mm -hmm. what is the larger cause for why an incident like this would happen? And they explore that. Okay. Now I get it. Ah, It's really cool. Like that's a great example of going from a perfect short to a great movie. Yeah. So uh, where, where was the rings of Saturn store that you filmed at? So that was in rings of Saturn was in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, we shot you might be the killer in lafayette okay and um it was funny because my co-writer on the movie tom vitale um his background he used to run sci-fi and that's actually where tom and i had some history because he was involved with on an executive level on a couple of other movies that i had done and was a fan and he and i got along really well and um when he and i were writing the movie and we needed to like name the comic book shop it was like, is it a comic book shop or is it more like a memorabilia store? And it's more like a pop culture store. It was kind of like my thought because I'm like, it needs to have horror movies, but video stores don't really exist anymore. So it's like probably needs to have like Funko dolls and comic <laughs> right. books and be kind of like <laughs> just a nerd store, really. Yeah. But we needed to name it. The actual store is in Lafayette. It's called, uh, what is it? Books for Less? Something not that exciting. Yeah. But then because of tom's sci-fi background he's like oh let's name it the rings of saturn just as like a nod to the sci-fi channel oh cool awesome so yeah no it totally works and uh, i assumed it was a real place since it's really uh, yeah, it's got so it, much stuff in there all we did was change the sign and then we brought in the globe that was like in the lobby and <laughs> a few posters and stuff but yeah. yeah otherwise everything else was there during the day it operated we had to shoot at night because people weren't in there playing um dungeons and dragons like they had like tournaments and stuff, and yeah, I was, it was a big awesome. D and D kid back in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a cool place. They, I mean, they went all out on that. Yeah, it's kind of weird when I was growing up, played D and D, watched you know silly uh, horror movies and great horror movies, 
and watch pro wrestling. All this stuff that was not cool in the 80s, but it would be cool today. It's a much different I was going to say, if you are if you were able to supplant your 80s self into today, <laughs> it'd be very different. Cause I used yeah. to, I grew up going to Comic-Con all the time. And when I was a kid, I mean, I got flack for it. Be like, oh my gosh, you're going to Comic-Con? And now everyone's like, can you help me get tickets to Comic-Con? Like everybody wants to go. And I'm like, <laughs> where were you guys when... <laughs> <laughs> yeah well like what you're saying earlier but everyone knows horror stuff like i grew up it would be it was really hard to get like a t-shirt with any kind of horror movie on but now yeah, you true. go to walmart and they have like little kids shirts with zombies and stuff on it's very it's so true i think it was like you know, a couple of weeks ago i literally was just a target and they had like a nightmare on elm street t-shirt and i'm like this is crazy it's everywhere now it's awesome though yeah it is I mean, uh, I'll be honest. I buy some out there because they have some stuff that you know. It's yeah. Like bucks. And... Totally. Yeah, I get it. So, how about uh, casting? Because you had some great. Uh, the whole cast is great, but you have some, you know, pretty uh, name actors in it. Uh, Allison Hannigan. Oh, thanks, Ben. You no, know, we we really lucked out because, like I said, the the schedule was so fast. We kind of wrote the script shooting from the hip. You know, we didn't really have a whole lot of time to contemplate whether this was even the all of the right decisions. They were just the best decisions in the time frame we had, you know? And so then when it came to casting, we needed to cast really quickly. And, and it really came down to, yeah, there's people we would want, but also who's available and who can like show up as quickly as we would need them to, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, Fran Kranz was just a dream come true for me. I love him. And um, yeah, he is awesome in the movie. It's really just because he's awesome. Like I, I, he made my job so easy because he, he got it. And what was really great was he and I kind of endeared ourselves to each other early on. Cause he, before he signed on, he had some hesitation about it because he didn't know, he didn't know how, how he knew this was all going to come down to the execution of it. Right. And then he was like, when you read this as a script, this can lean one of two ways is very spoofy or very horror comedy. And he's like, and I don't know what the filmmakers are trying to do. And so he asked to have a conversation with me. And that's when he and I said, we had almost the same conversation you and I already had about a horror comedy. And I talked to him about ghostbusters and Scooby-Doo and just the importance of stakes and the jokes never feeling like they're the point, but still within the context of the story and serving the story. And, And he was like, that is that is how I feel. And that's the movie that I'm interested in being a part of. And so that was cool. Cause after the guy, that convo, he came on board and we were like, just both, you know, just like bound at the hip, just aligned on just how we you, want you to want an actor off. who and, also, you know, has the same idea of what you're going for instead of yeah, you know, totally each other. It's, it's really funny. Cause I, I remember, I remember watching this video of Zemeckis, like doing this behind the scenes with Forrest Gump and they did the table read. And then, He's kind of like, like on camera outside of the table read, getting interviewed about his process. And he he basically said the point of the table read is to make sure that we're all making the same movie because I've been in too many situations where we all showed up and it turned out too late that we were not trying to make the same movie. Yeah, I was like, man, that's such an interesting point. Post, the Back to the Future poster behind you, if you ever saw oh, the movies that made yeah. you uh, about it, and they, they filmed it. a lot of it with a totally different actor, and they just he just yeah. realized it wasn't working. That was one of the big inferred instances, right? Was yeah. wow, we're not 
we're not actually here to make the same movie. Like Eric Stoltz had a very different interpretation of Marty. And what's funny, because every time I've heard what his thoughts were about it, I'm a giant Back to the Future nerd. I mean, I got a DeLorean on my own. Oh, very cool. I just love it. Back to Future 2 is my all-time favorite movie. And um, But it does, like, Eric Stoltz isn't wrong. You know, like, when he reads the his version of the script, I get what he's seeing. It's just not the movie that Zemeckis was making. So I get the importance of a lead actor who's going to carry this thing, wanting to make sure that they're on the same page with the director who's going to be executing the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because when the two are aligned, pretty unstoppable. And that's definitely how it felt with Fran. Like the fact that we aligned so early on, we were also checks and balances for each other, right? Like he'd be like, Brett, like, is this leaning to, is this leaning to comedy or is this feeling sincere or is this feeling appropriate right mm. and then him for me you know like what if we did this and i want to come bring a camera and he's like i'm worried that that might push this too over the top so it was great because we were both creative partners on him yeah and then of course allison's awesome allison hannigan is just lucked out with her now, how about the sign for the camp but it, it it looks like, I mean, it looks so, you know, like, like an old sign. So it's very well made. That's awesome. Thanks, man. We had, um, man, our production designer, our production designer on the movie was, uh, awesome. He, his name was Matt Whittle. And he like, he just worked day and night. Cause again, like our schedule is so tight. And so I had to be very specific about here's my wish list of everything, but here's my priority, excuse me, as far as like what we need what we need when and what feels like it's going to be most important for the story, you know, and he just, I don't know if that guy slept for three weeks or four <laughs> weeks. Like I, I don't know, but like so much production design was showing up. And when that sign showed up, yeah, I was, I was so hyped. I was in the, he only had hours. Like, I think he had started working on it like the night before. Or oh, wow. Yeah. It looks great. Then I was just like, geez, man, I don't know. I'm also not the craftiest person, so I'm just I just marvel at anything like that. Like, oh, just some yeah, core no, and this, this. I'm like, I'm, about I don't know what you. <laughs> he actually, what's really crazy is he did something I've never talked about this. Um, he did some production design that's invisible in the movie that's unreal. The DP Andy Andy Strayhorn, who's amazing, he um love him. He's like this Aussie guy. And it's just like super into horror and like he was great to work with. But his whole thing was he's like to get in the woods and, uh, well, you know, we're in the swamps of Louisiana and the swamps are really thick. And so it's like all these cool locations had no access to justifying moonlight easily or even achieving it artificially because it was just the trees are also thing. And so he asked Matthew to um, build fake tree trunks so that he could basically or like put up lights in the swamp but then cover the stands with a fake tree stump true so that because the camera was never going to angle high enough to see that there was no tree at the top of it and i was like dude i don't know if he has i don't know if matt has time to like do all this yeah and the next thing we know we had like five (laughs) like 12 foot 14 foot tall fake trees like just ready to move around they're just styrofoam they're so easy you can just pick them up he just put them around the light stands. It was insane. And it was all his hard work. He, he, he crushed it. He was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Everything like, like, um, even the, um, the, well, the mask looks great and the knife, like uh, Thanks, was he the same guy did those or. So he, so what was cool was the mask was really important to me because 
and this is, I know you've mentioned that you had Gary Tunnicliffe on the podcast before, like Gary helped me with the scarecrows on Husk and he and I, he didn't have time to help me on this one, but he and I have just had like long, 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 long conversations about what makes a mask iconic, what makes a mask scary, you know? And my lean for better or worse has always been the Michael Myers lean, which is the simpler, the scarier, um, the less expressive, the scarier, because now you can project more onto it. You know, like I always get annoyed by the horror movies that have characters that look like their mask is out of a Halloween spirit store, you know, where it's just kind of a ghastly smile and like an overtop gruesome face where it's, it's like, actually, I, uh, I really like black phone and, but I do a video series, uh, dinner and a movie with my friend, Annabelle. We, yeah, we talk about the movie after dinner or, or during dinner, but that was her problem with black phone was she's like, how does he, these masks are too intricate for just like, a, Oh man, black phone was so good. Yeah. It's really, I agree. liked it. That was her only issue with it. I did like though, that the mask was modular, was changing. That's you know, what I, I did liked like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I like that has no mouth at all. And yeah, that was terrifying, mm-hmm. but it also like the story of that. Oh man, I could talk about that movie. Like a a lot but that even that one when he was wearing kind of the version of it that had the gruesome smile on it it wasn't without intention right because he's basically lying to this kid like he's kind of deceiving like trying to come across as friendly yeah. you know and like all that. and i was like man this is where it works like where it bothers me is when a guy jumps out around a corner with a chainsaw with this like kind of <laughs> yeah. crazy grin clown face yeah, where yeah. i'm just like I, don't, I have nothing to project onto you like you're just and you're also not scary. Like it's almost borderline ridiculous, but all, all that's to say is many, many discussions were had about the mask mm-hmm. and, um, and Matt Whittle again, like he, on top of production design, he just had a foam head and they just got a bunch of clay and he just took sketches I had done and just started live whittling this clay version of the mask in front of me. And I gave him input while he was doing it. And we did like four or five different, iterations of the mask because of like the voodoo history at one point there was one that had kind of more of a voodoo vibe i only knew that i wanted it to feel tree-based but i was like but i wanted to feel simple that was just really tricky but then after all those iterations we had to send those out to the executives to go who's feeling what and i expressed what my preference was and then uh, thankfully my preference was the one that we got to go with and then we had another guy mask maker who actually took his clay prototype and made a, he had to make a few masks. He had to make a foam one that could be worn for stunts, mm-hmm. which was hilarious because it was so light and fall off the actor's face all the time. Yeah. We had a different guy that played the killer half the time. Well, probably three quarters of the time. Fran and the stunt guy would trade off who was actually behind the mask. But Fran did want to do as much as he could. Um, but the foam one would just like fall off his face. It had like sunglass things on it that like hold it onto his ears. We had to like hide it under hair. And I'm like, oh man, if people see this, we are going to get shredded. Yeah. And then there was like kind of a heavier, more like hero one that we could like get close up on and look really cool. But I, I was really happy with the mask. And then the knife was crazy too, because the knife was that's the other horror debate, right? It's like, what is the weapon? And you want it to be something iconic. And Michael and Jason have kind of cornered the market on the most practical yeah, options. Jetty, yeah, and the, yeah. And then, you know, like Leatherface kind of took the other most exciting ones. So <laughs> you kind of, it, it's actually so that I'm sure you're like going to watch horror movies. I'm also, I'm always so entertained. Like, Oh, what are they going with? Oh, a pitchfork. Ooh, a modified pitchfork, yeah. you know, <laughs> but like, what are they going to use? And so um, when the backstory kind of developed and Louisiana became the setting, 
kind of start turning into there's this cursed ritual backstory. It'd be cool if there's something that feels slightly ritualistic or like ancient or period about this weapon, you know, and it's not modern. And then introducing the alligator jaw onto the dagger and all that stuff. I was like, okay, this is either ridiculous or cool. I think it's cool. Hopefully everyone else thinks it's cool too. Yeah, no, it looks great. Uh, I really like it. And not just because you're here, I, I dig. But yeah, um, cool. real before I forget about the the black phone, uh, that's an exception to. Uh, well, it's not Stephen King; it's Joe Hill. But a short story that actually works uh, for the movie. Yes, I, I went and read it uh, before I went to see it, which probably isn't always the best idea. You should probably read it after. But uh, and I was like, I don't know how they're going to make this into a movie because it's very very short, and there's really yeah. just the two characters, and there's no real payoff of any kind. But you know. They just kind of took the idea and really it's a great exception. I agree. Like it really is almost like because so many movies also start with a concept, right? And that's a short story that felt like it introduced a concept. And then it's like, okay, if this is the concept we want to go with, how do we explore it? And I thought they did a brilliant job of that, making the Ethan Hawke's character the string, or what was it? The what do you call the not the snatcher, but the grabber. The grabber, that's yeah, yeah, because the grabber also, like, people don't know so much different looking than than the than in the short story. Yeah, the short story is like isn't he like he's like super heavy and like just yeah, kind of like a slob, and, yeah, just like a gross. But one. making he was very intriguing. Like they just added so much depth to him, which made the story feel like he'd be stretched. But then also adding the kind of the stories of each of the kid and each of the other kids, and each of the other kids had one piece that they were introducing that would pay off in the end. I, I thought black phone was just yeah, and crazy they, brilliant. I thought they I left enough it. up to your imagination where you could envision things being a lot worse than what you see. In yes. The just like, Oh my him, gosh. Him I'm so glad you said with, that without a shirt on. And they're talking about yep. playing this and you just, your mind goes to really terrible things, which you don't I, necessarily want to see filmed. So exactly. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because that was my big hesitation seeing it. The only reason I didn't run to the theater was because I was nervous about that. I was like, well, what are they going to do? And I got kids. So it's like, I yeah, like, it's stuff like really like, I know it eats away at everybody, but it like just kind of haunts me like on a level it didn't before I had kids. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And the there's a bit of an elegance to the way that it implies certain things and kind of walks up to the line, but never crosses the line. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is actually really kind of masterful the way this movie implied much darker things without going there. Yeah. yeah. If you could yeah, pull it, it off, it's because uh, you can imagine much worse things than you really want to actually see. Yes. You know, that's it. Like a theatrical release movie. Yeah. I always think that's really the hardest part about the end of, of any type of uh, it whenever they film it. Is you, you can't yeah. really film what Pennywise is, He's, or the, the you know the deadlights, because it's like the yeah. worst thing you can imagine, which should be a worse, the scariest thing for that would be different for everyone. So it's right. always a letdown if it's a big giant spider or, or whatever. Right? Yeah. No, so true. I actually really loved the way that the um the latest movie handled it. I thought it was actually kind of cool. But you're right; like it can't it can't fully deliver on what what the book delivers. But I was like, this is this is pretty cool. Yeah. I really like both versions of Pennywise because yeah. each, both of them played it very differently. And I think yeah, there's better are. things in both of them. I do think that the newest one, they did a better job of making Pennywise seem like something totally unworldly, like something from, you know, it's yeah. totally alien. 
Yeah. And something kind of seductive to the kids. Tim yeah. Curry's Pennywise. I was like, I would <laughs> nowhere yeah. near that guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you're right. I recently rewatched it and I um I thought the same thing. I was like, there are aspects of it that the menace is different, the tone is different. It, they both work. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and and the kids I think are in both of them. well everyone, but the kids especially I think in both of them are, yeah. are great. Agreed. I even think that's the best part of the novel is the the parts with the kids. Yeah, I actually I I agree, and it's what I really loved about the way that uh, they split the two movies. The idea of splitting it between the kids and the adults because I was like I, I kind of am excited to have an experience of just the kids part of the story. Yeah. Um, and now I like chapter one way better than chapter two yeah. for no reason other than it just feels like horror goonies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever read it. This isn't a Stephen King podcast, but I, I, I walk a lot. So I listen to the audiobooks I'm walking. 112263, I think, is one of King's best I haven't read books. It. And there's connections. I won't give it away. There's connections to it, but I would highly. Oh, that's it. cool. Yeah. If you just read what it's about, it's very sounds maybe even something you might not be into. It's about like a time traveler trying to stop the jfk assassination but there's a lot oh more. yeah yeah yeah. i heard the hey. i haven't watched the the uh the show i heard it's not particularly good but the novel i thought was one of the best i've read my brother really liked that. i've heard other people not like it but i have to check it out yeah i gotta watch that yeah. i mean anything stephen king i actually when i um started pitching husk around one of the things that everyone asked me was if there was a Stephen King short story, I'd want to adapt into a feature. Oh, and my pitch to everybody was 1408. That used to be my favorite. Yeah. My favorite short story, but then lo and behold, it was already in development, but that was one where I don't know if the feature worked quite as well. Yeah. I don't, short it's not the terrifying. best, I don't think, but yeah. Yeah. I always think that's the ones they should remake though, or like a lot of the King ones where the movie wasn't perfect instead of remaking the ones where I think like, I personally love pets at the original pet cemetery. So I don't really, really yeah. why remake it, you know? Yeah. I felt that way. Like it, I was excited to see it get made into like a, yeah. Cause it's a little big budget it's a Hollywood movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was a TV movie. And I was like, Oh, I'd love to see this get like the actual, like proper Hollywood feature film treatment. But yeah, I did agree about cemetery. I was like, man, pet cemetery freaks me out still. Like it's so good. Yeah, there's, uh, I love. I think that's one of the best adaptations. It's there's like a dread throughout the whole movie. Like you feel like it yeah. was first, and I think it's, it's interesting like, that the the ghost is like the most positive character in the whole movie. He kind of like, you know, death right. isn't the worst thing that can happen. So you know, stay away from uh, from meddling with all these things. Right. Yeah. Like it. It kind of makes it feel like the. Like the best of the Twilight Zone, right? Where like these characters, you're like constantly dreading the decision they're going to make and the consequence of their decision. And like, it's so good. I love it. Yeah. I saw the, I think it comes out next week on Netflix. They made a movie off. It's a short story from um, If It Bleeds, which is a more recent King. It's a, like a collection of short stories. Yeah. And uh, they give away what it's about right in the title, though. It's like, Oh, uh, Mr. Halbrand's uh, Halbrand's phone, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Halbrand's phone. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that. I was like, "Oh, this is cool." It's kind of funny to get two uh, King family horror phone movies. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, Joe Hill, from what I understand, he um he wrote the ending for eleven twenty two sixty three. I think Stephen oh, had no a different way. ending, and then Joe actually helped to make a different ending, which I thought was interesting. Oh, uh, that's cool. That yeah. is interesting. 
But like I said, I started walking a few years ago a lot, and I listen to audiobooks. So I've been flying through all the King books that I never read, and uh, it's been you know a great time. What's uh What's been your favorite book so far? I really like um the Dead Zone. I think is that's one of my favorites. The Dead Zone, um, Salem's Lot. I really like a lot. Yeah, Salem's Lot is awesome. Yeah. Dead Zone. I've actually you're not the first person I've heard revisit that and really love it. Like a buddy of mine reread it. I was like, this this is so much better than people realize. Yeah, it's because um when I was reading it, like I thought it was the end. And then I looked and saw like 12 hours left. I was like, what are they going to do for us this book? And then at first I'm like, oh, why didn't they just end this? But then it becomes like a whole other story. And I'm like, oh, it, this makes, it, I don't want to get into yeah. it, but it's, it's almost like the sequel. <laughs> yeah. It really is an epic story, which um, I know that I never did watch a series, but it could be told over like a two or three like um, series show, especially now that they do like eight to 10 episodes, you know, per right, season. Right. A lot of King's stuff lends itself because he goes pretty uh he goes pretty deep into some of the mythology and like the lore and setting and history of stuff. You know, it's like it's a lot of stuff lends towards longer form storytelling for sure. Yeah. I started listening to this, I finished it later on, but uh the stand and it was right uh when the pandemic started. And mm-hmm. so I'm listening to and it's all about these people getting sick and dying. And this was like weeks into the the shutdown. I was like, and we didn't know how, you know, what was going to happen. I was like, I can't listen to this right yeah. now. It's, it's a really bad time. To- <laughs> this is touching too close to reality for me yeah. at the moment. Like, this wasn't a good I idea. I get that for sure. Yeah. How about you? What's your like favorite King uh, stories? Well, you said 1408. Um, I mean, it, I always really loved it. I'm a big fan of short it's stories. 1408 was always one of my favorites. He has another short story I love that I feel like could be an incident that leads in a bigger story called the man in the black suit i don't think i've read that one. Oh man it, it really freaked me out it's it's really just like 1940s south just a kid going fishing alone in the woods when he shouldn't have to a part of the woods where he's not supposed to go and he has a confrontation with the devil then it's almost like a king version of a little red riding hood big bad wolf interaction but it's like it's terrifying and i was like man this if this is like a scene in a larger story involving these woods and this character that exists in there and uh, there's so much cool potential there, but that's one of my favorite short stories that he's done too. Yeah. really freaked me out. It's like a, it's like a bite sized Pennywise where, you know, it's like, it's just a short story, but it kind of gives you the vibes of yeah. Stephen King's best yeah. scary characters. Cool thing. He does. That I really respect. He does the Stephen King dollar babies where you just yeah, pay a yeah. dollar and you can make the move. Yeah. There's a lot of rules, like you can't sell them or anything, but I just think that that's cool that he does that. It's really cool. Considering he's like arguably the most famous living author at the moment. It's yeah. like, man, that's crazy for him to. Yeah, if that. you really think about it, cause a lot of authors will be famous for like one or maybe two books, but there's easily like at least like maybe t- we'll say six or eight. That's like iconic. And then there's, got to be 12 or more that everyone would know yes like i don't totally. know if anyone's ever been that prolific for like stories that like everyone you know knows he's like i kind of equate him to spielberg where he's kind of just a brand unto himself at this point and it's it has less to do with the book he's writing and more the fact that he wrote it at this point you know where i just feel like if stephen king puts out a book there's a there's a built-in fan base that's gonna go get it regardless because he did it and they want to see what he did. You yeah. Know? Oh, running man. I really like too. I don't know if it's my favorite, but running man, 
I actually really like the movie, but it's so yeah. different. And uh, it's so I, different, but it's great. Yeah, oh, yeah, I love it. I think it's, that's probably one of my favorite Arnold movies. I really like the eighties Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm a diehard Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. I love Arnold. I think Predator is his best movie. I think Predator I love is it, yeah. exceptional. I think Terminator is awesome. But I anything with Arnold, <laughs> I'll go watch it. Uh, about Terminator, there I was thinking about this actually when we talked about Eric Stoltz is the um, like the original guy to play Terminator was Lance Hendrickson. They didn't film it, but that oh, was the I didn't original know idea. That. And like, it's hard to even uh, it, like imagine after you know the movie. But I was like, I think he could have done it, but I think it would have been a completely different movie. And I don't know if it would have been as successful for the for an eighty. You know what? It's almost like it would be the difference between Carpenter's Halloween and Zombies Halloween, right? Where the Terminator would have just been a guy that can't be stopped, as opposed to a, like a a truck that can't be stopped. Right. Yeah, and the and but, the other but, one works much better in the eighties, and then. In my opinion, yeah. the Rob Zombie one doesn't work as well. Wow. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. What, at the horror basis of Halloween, what makes Michael Myers scary is that he could be in a crowd and he's not going to draw attention to himself, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in Terminator, that doesn't matter. He's not concerned about drawing attention yeah. to himself. He's just concerned about his mission. So it, I think Terminator, I've had this debate recently with a friend of mine. where I've always argued that Terminator is a horror movie first before it's a sci-fi movie because it's structurally... It's built like a horror movie. The dread of it is way more like a horror movie. And the third act of that movie where where Reese is dead and Sarah's she's running from Terminator, it's terrifying. Like it's the scariest thing I had seen up until that point. Just the fact that the Terminator can't be stopped and everything that she does to stop him doesn't work. I was like, this is like I've had this nightmare before. I've had this nightmare where you can't outrun the thing that's trying to get you, you know, and Terminator does it. And then Terminator two is a great sci-fi action movie, but Terminator one is, I think terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I always think, uh, you know, alien and Terminator are actually, I think they're better, but I still like Terminator two and aliens because they're, they're fun. No, for sure. And they, it's like, they couldn't really exist without the other, mm-hmm. but they are definitely, they're different movies. I, I I don't know if I can say that they're better because I'm so tainted by my preference because I love them. You're totally. Oh, no, right. they're great. Yeah. But I, maybe not so better. I probably think I probably would like them better, I guess. Is there, they're yeah, probably yeah, more yeah. But honestly, well, like, if I want to watch something fun and big, uh, you know, the other two are, are more like that. Well, yeah, because like even Aliens, I've just been introducing my son to those movies. And like the first Alien is a very slow and patient. Yeah horror movie right mm-hmm. in the in the best way possible but when i was young it didn't hold my attention span i just i was the same way i always liked aliens better when i was young but then when i yeah, got older i just I wasn't alien ready yeah. yeah i got older and i really really fell in love with alien but aliens feels like jurassic park where it's just like <laughs> here we go it's just set piece after set piece after set piece and then of course it introduces the queen and i mean uh, it's phenomenal and it holds up too. showing it to my son i was like what do you think about this? He's like, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, great. That's cool. Yeah. The the Lance Henriksen story is in his book, which I recommend to anyone to read, um, Not Bad for Human. And something <laughs> I always quote about it is he talks about when he, his first like movie was Piranha 2 and he went into it, like treated it really serious. And, uh, and the director of that also did, who was James Cameron. And that's how they bonded because they were both making what they knew is like kind of a, a silly horror movie, but they right. both tried their best. And then 
when James Cameron did all these other movies, he always included Lance because he knew he was so like a cool. serious actor. Where so other people, cool. you know, they might just walk through like, oh, this is whatever. I'll just write some dumb movie. But but it's always, I think that's a good lesson for anybody. You should always try, no matter what the movie is, you know, try your best. You just never know. Like at the end of the day, you you don't know what's going to happen. And you also can make something like even going back full circle that he might be the killer being presented with a movie based on a Twitter thread. <laughs> I mean, I, I had every, every reaction to walk away and not do anything, but at the same time, like I was excited at the potential of a horror comedy and I had no idea whether or not it would work or not, but I had to try, you know, and I was really, I didn't know until we screened at fantastic fest for the first time, whether or not the movie was even going to work or not. Cause we were working so fast. We had no time to self-assess. Mm-hmm. So we just hoped, you know, and it, it, the crowd loved it. And it was like a dream come true premiere as far as just the response to it. It's like everything we hoped would happen, happened. And, and you, I could have very easily missed all of that. You know, if I hadn't just dared to believe and, gone for it and tried you know and it's and you also learn some like i know cameras talked about that with piranha too how you never know when it's more about the lesson than it is the product you know yeah so going into the into the premiere i mean what's that feeling like i know it uh, recently because my movie premiered at uh at a scream i mean a freight fest in london so it was a very uh both exciting cool. and nervous experience uh going to watch it yeah. uh, with an audience <laughs> always i don't think it ever I think, I think if there's ever an instance where anybody goes into a screening confident that there's something wrong, <laughs> you know, I was like, you don't, you don't know. Cause it's up to the audience. So what freaks me out about making movies is that it's the same thing with raising my kids. Like I can, I have an, I have a moment in time to do everything I can. And then I have to let it set sail. And hope that it sails and doesn't sink, hope that it's safe, hope that it sails for a long time. You know, like I don't, it's not up to me anymore. And it's terrifying about the movies because that first screening in front of the audience is the moment. That's where it's like, this isn't mine anymore. Mm-hmm. It's yours. And I don't know if you're going to be kind to it or <laughs> if you even like it. I don't even know if it's good yet. I hope it is. But yeah, by that point, it's, it's hard to even watch it as a movie since you've seen it so many yeah. times through the editing. No, it's true. I've told my, I've told many people this, how I, I don't feel like I've actually the window of time that I've clocked between when I've made something, and when I see it for the first time is normally about like a year to two years where like, I finally go back and watch it and see it objectively as someone who didn't make it, mm-hmm. you know, because like you said, like you're so close to it. Like I can't unsee the mistakes. I can't unsee the things I didn't have time to fix. I can't unsee the things I didn't get to shoot the way I wanted. I can't unsee all of the, all of the things that I, I can still see what I intended even when it wasn't successful, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and also I think some, something, some people might not think about is the experience of making it. So if you want to watch, you want to see it as like a people who have no idea what you went through to make it. But right. uh, sometimes it's hard to edit something that like, oh, I had a good time making this in that scene, but does it work for the movie? You know, right? No, it's it's true, and and vice versa. You know, sometimes you didn't get to make a scene nearly as well as you hoped you could, but this is the version you're stuck with, and now it's out there. Like it's funny. I, I recently listened to some of the 
commentaries that Francis Ford Coppola did on The Godfather. And he says that about scenes in that where he's like, oh, I just didn't have time to shoot this scene the way I wanted this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What? <laughs> yeah, it's like the most it great. Yeah, it's my favorite movie of all time. So yeah. I love it. But it's such a it's such a picture of the process, right? Like of what we're talking about, which is there's we don't see any of the errors. Mm-hmm. And he does. And that's what's terrifying about the premiere. And I've had both kinds of premieres. I've had premieres where it was just kind of awkward silence. And I've had premieres where it was roaring applause, you know, and I couldn't have told you that I guessed which one was going to be which before it started. <laughs> it's like, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. So how early on, um, it went to shutter, right? From, from the festival. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. So how early so, on did you know, you know, shutter was going to pick it up? Well, one of the original producers of it, Craig Engler, runs Shutter, and he oh. he became he became the head of Shutter after he had already been involved with He Might Be the Killer. So he actually had to leave You Might Be the Killer to go take over Shutter, and so um, so that was kind of built in from the beginning because of his involvement with it. He was like, "Hey, I got to go do this, but when you're done, it's got a home," mm-hmm. you know. So that was actually really exciting. There was um after Fantastic Fest, there's quite a bit of interest in a lot of people to like do different things with the movie just because it played well and it was kind of buzzy. And um, but it already had its home at Shutter, so all those conversations were kind of squashed very quickly. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of nice going into it, going like we know where yeah. this movie's gonna be, I know where to tell people to go watch it, and it would have been cool if some of the other things happened too, but this happened. <laughs> and it was great. It was yeah. phenomenal. Shutter was an incredible like home for it to be going to, especially because while we were making it, Shutter was like launching and the whole horror community was like super hyped on it. And so it was kind of nice knowing, hey, well, it was also pressure inducing, you know, in the sense of like, oh, this is gonna go. Yeah, some new thing, who it. knows? Because I've seen other, you know, streaming sites that sound cool, you know, and they come and go, but Shutter is uh Awesome. Uh, you know, they stayed around and it really grew, you know, I think what, what I like about Shudder is they've got weird stuff that you might not see anywhere else. It's got a lot of old stuff that I like, a lot of uh, international stuff that you might never have seen without right. something like Shudder and a lot of independent stuff. And then uh, I think Joe Bob, you know, joining it really also you know, brought in. A yeah, lot that that kind of elevated it to a whole other level. But you're right. That's it's a it it was immediately a platform to see stuff that was otherwise a lot harder to see at the moment. And that is, that's real special. It was cool. Yeah. How about the physical? Is it out on physical? I assume it is. Uh, it, it was, um, I don't know where to find it. I know it's been on iTunes and then there was a physical Blu-ray release and DVD release, but um, it was small. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's showing up at a lot of dollar stores. So you know, if you're at a local dollar store, check yeah. it out. It's probably there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I I always like I like people to buy physical, but I'm as guilty as anyone else. I mean, I own a lot of movies, and instead of going to find them, put them in the Blu-ray or whatever, it's easier a lot of times. Like I know it's streaming somewhere; I'll just watch it there. And yeah, I, that's what I can. Like, I like people I hate to, to say keep stuff, but you know, buy physical, but I. Do as I say, not as I do, because I <laughs> exactly. definitely send like, this stuff. Yeah. Well, I also I travel so a lot with like I travel a lot and like whenever I've been on location for shoots, you know, there's been times where I just wish I had a bunch of movies that I left at home. Right. And so I just start traveling with my uh I just start traveling with my Apple TV. 
and I just plug it into wherever okay. I have everything, you know, yeah. or I bring a hard drive and I have everything and it kind of became too enticing to keep that up. Yeah. If you bring the HDMI cable, you can hook it right up to the TV. And yeah. One and done. You got all of them. So it's kind of, <laughs> no, I, I totally, I mean, I've got, this is the first VHS tape my mom bought me back in the eighties creep show. So oh, that's cool there, but like, you know, I, I don't watch VHS anymore, but they, they have a special place in my childhood. Absolutely. I lo- uh, yeah. Very special place in my heart too. Yeah. How about uh, your family? When you told them like, this is something I want to do. I want to make uh movies. Were they supportive? Um, well, you know, they were, they were supportive. I, I came from a, my family was a, full of artists you know like my grandfather was a painter and he's a violin maker and my mom was a traveling musician for a while and like they they kind of got the arts which i didn't realize was more the exception than the rule because it's just what i grew up with and so um there was actually if anything i think from very early on there was an expectation that i was going to be doing something creative and there was a little bit of pressure to pick which it was going to be um, but when I chose film, you know, that's kind of why I fell in love with film. I was like, man, it's kind of all of the art. It's all, it's all art having to work together for this one art. Yeah. You know, you have to get painters, you have to get, you know, costume designers and you have to get actors you have to get, you gotta make cool and sign. And yeah. yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta get painters and like, it was just all the things that I loved kind of funneled into one thing. And so that's kind of what pushed me towards it. And then, um, I, it was just nothing but support, which is crazy to think now. Cause at the time I was like, yeah, thanks. This is, this is normal. <laughs> now I know that that's, it's not. So I was very fortunate and I like got put in art schools. Like my education was very um, art focused and like, and I knew real young that I wanted to make movies. And so a lot of my education was geared towards pushing in the direction of film and stuff, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, this is interesting because a lot of independent filmmakers I have on uh, did not go to film school, and they talk about you know going on set and learning how to how to make a movie and stuff. But uh, you did. So what would yeah. what are the benefits of going to film school? Well, it's like I, there really are arguments for both mm-hmm. because I mean, I same. I have friends that didn't, and I have a lot of friends that did. But the the biggest benefit I found from film school was that um, it kind of allowed me to exist under an umbrella of protection to just go experiment and go nuts making stuff that I don't know if I would have otherwise had the means to make. Mm-hmm. Um, because aside from assignments, I went to Chapman university, the Dodge college film and um, they had a whole warehouse of film equipment gear, you know, all the stuff that was free to the students that you just had to check it out and it had to be available. Um, and so all of a sudden I just had resources I wouldn't have had. We had insurance through the school. So we were kind of protected under the entity of the university, which I think was great because I just was kind of given this open plane with all these tools and resources to just go make a bunch of stuff. So when I was in film school, it's all I did. Like if I wasn't making something for class, I was doing it for fun in my free time with my buddies. Like we were just constantly, constantly making movies like short films, like whatever we wanted. And it was a real great, that was a real great training ground for me. But at the same time, everything that I learned about everything that has felt the most necessary about 
working in film isn't necessarily something that I feel like I learned in film school. I learned it from being on set and making movies in the real world more. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of makes me go like, maybe, maybe we should revise the curriculum on certain things. And maybe they did. It was a while ago that I was in film school, but yeah. that's kind of where I feel like the case of not having to go to film school does make a lot of sense. Cause I had one professor that was like, Hey, if you got 50 grand to go to film school, make a feature film. Or, you know, it's like now it's probably like it could cost you 100, 150 grand to go to college, go make a $150,000 feature film. And I, I can't argue with that. Like, I really get it. The main benefit for me was just having time and resources to just fail and succeed on just a ton of different things and just learning experience, you know. Uh, It sounds like a silly uh, thing, but uh, a lot of people just say you have to make something. Like, so either go to film school and learn how to do it or go on sets and make it. But if you just think about it, it's just going to stay in your head and it won't actually ever be anything. No, it's, it's really true. Like you're only as good as what you've made. Like no one cares about a film degree, but my degree hasn't been the reason I got any single job I've ever gotten, you know, but um, the stuff I've made has, and I, and as long as someone's making stuff and then the festivals are great because that's where you get your exposure, you know? Yeah. And like film school helped me learn how to do that. I don't know if I would have been savvy enough to figure that out on my own without film school. Mm-hmm. But I mean, nowadays I, it's probably way easier than it was when I was trying to figure it out. So yeah. it's also a good way to meet uh, other people and collaborate. Uh, at the- yeah, you're right. That's the other big thing was it really put me in a pool of fellow filmmakers. And I got to kind of find find my crew and my, like my guys and, and learn from them, you know, because there's also a lot of healthy competition. You know, it's like I'm very much motivated by mm-hmm. healthy competition, you know. Otherwise, I'd just be sitting in my dorm room just pondering what I want to write as opposed to feeling the pressure to, like, I got to make this, like, now. Yeah. I say I'm glad you said friendly because I I like the festivals. I actually like the festivals a little smaller because it's like a community aspect. Yeah. And uh, usually they're rooting for everybody, but at the same time, like you said, it's like, Hey, this guy did this, you know, that I, you know, I, I need to do something too. Oh yeah. The, the smaller festivals definitely feel more like you're celebrating each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to talk out of class, but I, I, when I was at Sundance, man, Husk played in a short program with other shorts and Husk was kind of like unofficially like headlining the thing. Like it was the last short and it was the longest short. And it was kind of like the, finale of the program and man i had some real hostile encounters with some of the filmmakers that did the shorts that are programmed earlier in the same program because we all keep showing up the same events right yeah man it was that was not great i didn't make a lot of friends there but i made a lot of friends at other festivals for sure but man sundance it was like the sundance staff were amazing the audiences were amazing but the other filmmakers are programmed with just i feel like it was hostility for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume the bigger, like more prestigious they are. It's probably more like that is. Uh, yeah. So my, like my local one, uh, Boston underground film festival, there's a real community feel and everyone, it's a lot of same people. And then some of the guys went on to make, you know, bigger stuff, but you know, for the most part, everyone's, you know, rooting for each other and want to see what yeah. everyone's made, which is. I, I, and that's how it, that's how it should be. Yeah. Making movies is so hard. And we're all making them because we love them, right? It's like we're all, we're already, we should already be friends. 
Right, right. It's just it, yeah, but yeah. You, you have a lot of things out. in common, and it's a crazy right. world that not everyone is going to seek out. So yeah, right. So uh, you might be a killer. I love it, and uh, I think it was on man. it was on my list the uh, the best movies that year. And oh, thanks. Can, I appreciate you know, that. Find it and check it out. And uh, what are you working on currently? You know, currently I wrote a movie over the pandemic that I've been shopping around. It's horror comedy and for anyone who cares, no producers are terrified of horror comedies. Um, and so that's been funny because it's a, been a long process of dragging out with a lot of people who love it, but are intimidated to hit the green light on it. But so I've been using this the rest of the time that I've been writing my next movie, which is going to be a slasher. I'm kind of trying to write my, my nineties slasher movie. Oh, I like it. Yeah. And so I'm getting real close to finishing that one. And then I'll start sending it out, seeing who will let me make it. I directed some TV in between. Um, I was actually out in Bulgaria shooting, uh, directing episodes of a TV show while um, Texas Chainsaw was shooting out there. I I just interviewed the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and uh, they made it in Bulgaria. Yeah, it was all this. It was funny. It was the same, same production company. So we were housed in the same building but on completely different schedules. I was on the TV show schedule and they were on their Texas chainsaw schedule, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was crossing paths with them a lot. And then the same team, they, uh, they did barbarian out there after I left. Oh, I didn't even know it was made. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy, but I did that in the meantime. And that was really cool game to do some TV and kind of dip my toe in the pool of television, episodic directing. Yeah. And it was a sci-fi show. So like different genres. So that, that was keeping me busy too, but I'm, Definitely feeling most at home writing uh writing my next horror movie. <laughs> well, very cool. Uh, um, I always look forward to see what you have uh, coming out. And where can people Thanks, can people man. see Husk? Where is that? Like on yeah, so Husk is on Husk is um it's on iTunes right now. I don't really know where else it is other than iTunes. Yeah. Um, but it's on iTunes. Um, you might be the killers on iTunes. It used to be on Shutter. I don't know if they're bringing it back. They kind of have yeah, brought it back and then put it away and brought it back. So um but yeah it's currently on it was on sci-fi uh if you have like uh my local you know where my uh my uh cable had it on sci-fi uh nice yeah yeah it's played on sci-fi too you know but yeah yeah that's cool so i yeah i look forward to what you have coming up and this is very cool i really appreciate it yeah Uh, thanks for having me on man it's been a good chat been good hanging out with you do it again sometime That'd be awesome. I'm down anytime. Just let me know. Join us next week. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. All right. And shout out to Gary Tonicliffe we brought up. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to the new um, Hellraiser, but I honestly think his Hellraiser judgment uh, was one of the better sequels. I really liked it. It's great. It's great. And he's so passionate about like that specific subgenre of the genre we all love. It's so awesome. He's the greatest. Yeah, he's awesome. All right. Very good. Thank you.